As you're listening to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes. Welcome to Android's Dungeon on CFRU 93.3 FM, broadcasting typically of the University of Guelph, Guelph, Ontario campus. This is Pandemic Edition, Pathetic Pandemic Edition, PP Edition. I'm in the PP. office. Joel's in the office. Uh, Joel, how's your McFlurry? Delicious. I put a, a baked apple pie in it. I swear to God, I hope you did not put a fun, <laughs> put a baked apple pie in it. I certainly did. I'm very upset. <laughs> Jack's not loving the. Uh, he's not McLovin' it tonight. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm this very, is live one Thursday, and I'm sitting sitting here recording this live in the university. Eating McFlurry with a baked apple pie. I'm pretty sure, Joel, you're a religious guy, or at least you were, uh, but you have enough of a, a religious backing to understand the fact that I, uh, I believe it is Third uh, Corinthians verse four, uh, section three. Uh, he who putteth <laughs> McDonald's apple pie into <laughs> the McFlurry and stole the wind in the deepest pit of hell and have Satan even say what the hell man <laughs> the, deep, the deepest things of hell are reserved for betrayers <laughs> and people who stir pies <laughs> people that melt their flurries with apple pies bloody waste you try it sir I'll just eat the pie. Why would you combine the two? It's a waste of everyone's time. It's so because, frustrating. You know, you ever had like a hot brownie with, uh, or yeah, a hot brownie with vanilla ice cream on top? Okay. What does that have to do with the price of tea in China, Joel? Keep going. Well, this is a hot pie <laughs> with Oreo. <laughs> Ice cream inside. I, I want to be very clear. You've more or less, I want to say puree, but puree implies some sort of like fine mixing. This is more of a mashing. This is like a, like up, a yeah. this is like <laughs> a, uh, a hen bosun version of <laughs> slamming apple pie particles together with your McFlurry particles. And so you got two different delicious things, you put them together. Just gets more delicious. I'm surprised you didn't crush the universe. That's all I'm saying. It's <laughs> disaster, really. Android's Dungeon is a show about criticizing Joel for wasting everyone's time getting desserts in a drive-thru uh, on the way home from a, a night of, uh, of gaming. Uh, it's also about a bunch of other stuff, but Joel, what have you been playing recently? Jack, we've got a lot of ground to cover, but let's get started with something, you know, that's kind of like a big game. 
It's a big game, but it's an old game. It's probably, I don't know, maybe you've even talked about it in the past. I'll okay. give you a hint. It is in the um, theme category of detectives. Is it Chronicles of Crime? Is it uh, Hong Kong murder? No, no. It's not something I've ever played before. Detectives. Is it Whitechapel? Yeah, there you go. Okay. Letters from Whitechapel. Which is, yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of games. Uh, but yeah, Whitechapel is probably one of the bigger games. I'm assuming it's like ranked. What's the game that like replaces it though? I don't know. I thought Letters from Whitechapel was kind of its own thing because like you had, um, it, it's a hidden movement game, right? Like um, like uh, Scotland Yard or Fury of Dracula. Um, yeah, but there's a new version. What is it called though? I don't. I don't know it for because sh- I. I, these are not my favorite types of games. Not because I don't like them per se, but it's like nobody owns them, and nobody like trusts them upon me. So that's the. It, this is a bit of a power level here, but if you don't shove a game in my face and like really convince me with your enthusiasm, and it's a good game, I'm probably not going to enjoy it, or I'm I'm not going to know anything about it. So, yeah. like you so don't you have never you never about, went with. It's it's not your bag cup of tea. It's the hidden movement thing. It's it's like the is it hidden movement? I'm I'm pretty sure it is, right? Yeah, Jack moves, and then the detectives can kind of go around and search and try to find that path and pick it up. Is the there's another game I played semi semi recently. I say semi recently, like it's probably like six months ago, <laughs> but uh, it, like Nexus Ops or something like that, where it's it's one versus all where. Uh, all of you are like hunters chasing some person running around like this this factory that's trying to sabotage or ob- uh, achieve their objectives. And there is something about those games that uh, cause my <laughs> my brain to short circuit a little bit. But it's uh... anyway. So what did you think of Whitechapel? It's it's tension. It's really tension from the beginning to the end because uh, Whitechapel is a game where essentially. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but like back in the day, we had Mr. Jack, which is another Jack the Ripper themed game, and um, I, I I offered to lend it to John Fatima, and he asked him his girlfriend if she wanted to play, and she wouldn't play because she wouldn't play anything that celebrated Jack the Ripper. Yeah, I remember, I remember this, and I remember thinking it was stupid at the time. I still yeah. think it's stupid, but it's like, you know... Here's another whatever. game. Here's another game that she wouldn't play. Well, <laughs> that's like, let's, let's, before we move on, I don't want to get too political here, but like, it, it's, it's not celebrating it. It's like, from the start to beginning, it is catching the villain. It's catching the criminal. He has committed a crime. It is your job. It's not like it's saying... Be Jack the Ripper, like it, it, achieve accolades for gutting prostitutes. It's none of that. It's it's a ridiculous statement to make. So whatever. I guess <laughs> if Jack wins, it's like, oh, wasn't that fun? We yeah, killed a like, bunch of prostitutes. 
<laughs> it's like that that's the goal of the game is to have fun gutting people like it's like the absolutely insane thing to do but whatever fuck <laughs> but you do i mean there's four nights and in each night jack tries to kill x amount of prostitutes <laughs> <laughs> and then escape to his uh home base Ripper, jack the Ripper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jack. No, no, not the river, Jack. <laughs> I did not make that connection. Need to be very clear here. Until it was much too late. Um, yeah. <laughs> Let's be clear here. Jack from the show <laughs> goes out into eighteen eighty eight London. A time machine isn't functional yet. So. In the dreary Whitechapel <laughs> district. Yeah. And um, there are the wretched, which are symbolized by little white um, pillars. And each round begins with uh, Jack putting Jack the Ripper putting uh, little white tokens around the map, saying like, "Here's the places where I might kill somebody tonight." And then the detectives, which there are six of, uh, place them place tokens around the map saying, here's where we might be searching for Jack. And so this is a little bit of uh, sort of like a cat and mouse situation right from the beginning, where you have basically like little tokens uh, which are one have a dot on one side. Have you played this at all? No. Okay. I don't know why anyone owns a copy even. It's pretty simple. Like you just tokens, uh, you can place, you place seven of them face down and five of them have colors on them. The rest of them are um, decoys. Then, once all those seven dots of where the police are are placed, Jack thinks for a bit, and he kills somebody. Somebody, somebody somewhere out of those dots he put on the map is murdered, and we get the murder location. There are like 150 circles on the map, it might be less. It might be like 130, but I'm looking at 147 right now. I think so. Oh no, there's 195 circles. So it's a massive map. This big district. And what he does is he kills in a spot, and he's hidden, like you said. And then the detectives can kind of move from square to square, and he moves from circle to circle, and he tries to maneuver away back to his hideout now the first night it's super easy for jack he's got two carriages uh which allow him to move two spaces he's got two lanterns which allow him to kind of slip through the alleys and go anywhere on a block instead of like going circle to circle but every time there's a night he's giving away more information about where this hideout is right this hideout doesn't change so he's trying to get through four nights of killings, and if he pulls that off, and some of the nights have like he has to kill two people and stuff like that, uh, if he pulls that off, Jack the Ripper escapes in this alternate timeline. We celebrate yeah. Jack the Ripper being victorious. Meanwhile, everybody else in the game, between one and five players, uh, was I think one and six players, actually, I guess, because there's six detectives, 
Uh, and basically, the more players you have, you just kind of split the detectives amongst the players. So it's pretty easy to to divide the responsibilities, although apparently there's a whole lot of quarterbacking involved, according to Jason. Why, is he um, a chapel expert? Uh, apparently, it's it's Kaz's favorite game, his friend Kaz, and they play a lot. So I think he's pretty good at it, yeah. Hmm. Um, but what, what ended up happening in my game, we just played the first night just so that I could get an idea of it. And it was super exciting, but it was kind of like a situation where it was like, okay, I know you killed a 147, you moved one space. So you're any circle adjacent to 147. You're either at 111, 134, 126. So I'm going to go, you know, where I can go, I can get to one. 16 or whatever, the 146, the one of the spaces. But obviously you wouldn't just move one space to where a detective could go, so you're at one of the other two spaces. So I'm just like, I'm standing there, or I'm sitting there, kind of like narrowing down where you could be logically. And then I move my detectives around, and then you can either search every adjacent space to the detective, say, are you here, are you here, are you here? In which case, the you know, if you're correct, he'll put down a cube saying, yes, I was here at some point. I may still be here, but I definitely was here. And what that does is it gives you kind of a breadcrumb trail of where this hidden movement is happening. And then you can also just say, I'm pretty sure you're here, or maybe this is the only place I can search. So I'm just going to try to arrest you here. And if they pull that off, if they say you're here, and I'm arresting, then the detectives win. Yeah. That's it. I mean, there's really... That's the whole game, is just... Jack kills somewhere, tries to get to his hideout. He has some special abilities that allow him to move to. And then six other people just go to places and either ask if he's there, or been there, or tries to catch him. And I think it has, like, a really big following. Like, Letters from Whitechapel is, like, one of those kind of, like staple games i would say for hidden movement i don't know i i as far as i know and from what i've seen in like game cafes and stuff it's kind of one of those games that everyone has am i wrong it's a 2011 game but like well clearly they they didn't get you which is kind of surprising it's just the the genre itself i feel like it's so let's break it down a bit. So the first time I ever played something like this was uh, Scotland Yard, and I think that's an AI. I could be wrong. Um, and then it was years and years and years until suddenly we played Fury Dracula. And oh, yeah. that wasn't good. And like I, I know a lot of people love this game, but when I played it, it was it, it went off like a wet fart, and it was not a great time. And it felt long and painful, and it definitely felt like a, a product of its time. And I think the game wasn't was designed in the '80s, which would make sense. But uh, I, like, I, I could be wrong. Uh, and then there was like a, I think Pandemic had an expansion with the Bioterrorist, which is a hidden movement aspect of this. And you have letters from Whitechapel, of course. So. There are there are some games with hidden movement and Nexus Ops, like I was saying. It, it's uh, it's Spectre Ops. Was it Spectre Ops or uh... 
So yeah, I'm just I opened up the hidden movement section of BGG and it's everything that you mentioned plus War of the Ring. So War of the Ring is a weird Sonar. one, but uh and Captain Sonar I would not put that in there. That's a I get why they're putting it there, but I wouldn't put it there. Uh Specrops, if that's what they're calling. It. I I just for some reason I thought it was Nexus, but whatever. Um but yeah, it, it's like it's its own thing. It's I think there's like like you described and the the, the tension is what's interesting and the idea of like it, it kind of gets into the fact or it kind of taps into that lizard part of the brain of the idea of being chased or hunted by uh other people and it it can be quite uh like intoxicating sort of sensation i suppose but in as far as board games go like I've always been the hunter, and I've it, it's rare to be actually for me to actually get super excited being that. And I think from a gameplay perspective, if you're being hunted and you're looking at four other people, let's say going in it, taking their turn, sitting there like hmm ha hmm ha, while you're sitting there like, like my turn was pretty basic. <laughs> that was one thing I noticed. Like I played one on one against Jason, yeah, and it was like. He would write down his move, mm. and that's it. His turn is done. And then I have six detectives to decide oh, where oh they go. God, no! It sounds so like I a move nightmare. all six things, you know. And not only that, but I had a piece of paper, and I wrote down, "Okay, you could be here, 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 here." And you always have like seven places. Oh, like, okay, well, if I move this detective here, I can cover these two. And if I move this detective here, I can search these two. But you could have, you know, been tricky and doubled back. And honestly, like, it would be like, and I was trying to be quick, but like, I still, I recognize that I took at least five minutes on my side of the board. And every time it was his turn, he would take like four seconds. That's what it was when we played Fury of Dracula. Kel's turn was super quick because yeah. her her like for her decisions it was <laughs> so it I was guess, fairly planned. Yeah, and I and I feel like you have all the time where everybody's discussing where you are to decide what to do next. And on top of that, um, you get to sit there and just hear people discussing forever so like you basically get perfect information more or less unless they're like very secretive of what they're talking about or go whisper in a corner which i don't think so yeah it's like i think in order to be jack or in order to be uh, dracula and have fun you'll have to get that sick enjoyment of like hearing people blunder (laughs) you know Hearing, hearing, like ah, they think they've got me, but I've given them the slip. But it's more than just that, and that's the issue: is that it's if that lasted five minutes, that wouldn't be an issue. But if it was this agonizing, and if there was like this talking, and there was just like this this chatting, you can only remain engaged for so long. Like there's a limit to your, I don't know what the word is, but the 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 amount of patience you have or to stare and listen to people plotting your demise essentially yeah. but like it it happens like first turn you're sitting there the entire time you're going oh boy <laughs> yes they're going the wrong direction <laughs> second turn you go oh yeah they're off big deal 
third turn, you just like your phone, like the this the unlock screen sound, and <laughs> you sit there and listen to them do whatever yeah. it is they're doing. So, so but all right, so let let's get back to basics. Do you recommend letters from Whitechapel based on your play? Well, I think Jason kind of said it best when he was describing it to me. He said, "It's not an easy game, and it's not a fun game." It's not a fun game. <laughs> but it's a good game. Okay, sure. And I agree. Like, I really respect the game as an implementation of, like, a well-designed sort of simulation of, like, a chase and a cat and mouse kind of thing. And I think that they kept everything fairly simple. By the way, the re-implementation is called Whitehall Mystery. Ah, okay, there it is. It's 2017, and the main thing that it does, aside from stripping off some of the chrome, is to make the map about a third as big as it was, because it is an insanely big map. Yeah. And they put in, like, a little water district where Jack can, like, kind of travel across the water where they can't, so... So that's just Fury of Dracula. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a different theme with the same kind of game, to be honest. And uh, as you can tell, it's a big hit with Jack. This <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I probably wouldn't recommend uh, Letters of Whitechapel to just your run-of-the-mill person. It, I'm not saying like you have to be good at board games or anything. I'm just saying like you have to like it. You have to like this kind of thing in order to like it, but if you do, I think the implementation is good. Yeah, good. Uh, yeah. So, and honestly, for me, I'm kind of like on the fence about it, but I'm, a, I'm about like sixty percent in favor of trying it again. Hey, that's hey, almost hey, an endorsement. <laughs> I'm going to take this as a uh, a tepid endorsement of Letters from White Chapel. There you go. How about you? What have you been playing lately? I will say that uh, there, there's a lot of content, so I want to be very careful about what I say here, because I think there's uh, a lot of stuff to say. Um, uh, I've been playing a lot of My City, and My City, we, hey. we, talk, we talked about a little bit on uh, last week's episode. And it was a uh, a gift from Joel. I think it was a Christmas present. I'm not totally sure that that showed up uh, just recently. And we got playing it and into one of these things where it was like, okay, you know so you know what's funny is the copy I bought you for Christmas still hasn't arrived. I found this at the bookshelf. What? Yeah. Oh man. I, I hope you canceled that one that you got. <laughs> oh my god! I didn't cancel it. I figured I'd either give it to someone else, or maybe we'd do like um, a raffle on the show or something. Oh wow! Holy smokes! Uh, okay, interesting. Uh, so anyway, uh, I, I don't want to go too far into it because I feel weird about it. Right all of a sudden, uh, my city is a game uh, we we talked about a little bit last week. Uh, Rainer Knizia. It is his foray into the Legacy game plus the Polyomino games. And uh, we just finished it the other day. And uh, it was an addiction. It was a, 
let's we have to stop ourselves from just playing another game of it, another game of it, because it was so easy to just. So what what it does is that you start off with a very basic sort of setup, and then after you finish three games of it, you open up an envelope, and suddenly it adds stuff, and then three games later, it adds some more. And three games later, add some more. And maybe it subtracts something here and there. Uh, it was a, a lovely experience. And frankly, as far as games go, I, I would say it, it's more compelling than a lot of stuff we've ever played. So that's a huge feather in its cap. But um, uh, I, 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 I don't know. I feel like we could almost do an entire... I feel like an entire episode talking about my city, but um, I think the all I'll say before, because I, what I want to do is I want to talk about um, uh, a bit of Ghost of Saltmarsh a bit, but when we finished it, I think I I almost felt a little underwhelmed at the end. Like, I wanted more. I felt like we could have had another another a couple of chapters. Uh, it felt like things were expansion. <laughs> yeah, and I said that I said that to Kel. I said like, if there was an expansion, it would make perfect sense. Like, it would be a great idea to just sell because all the hard parts are done. Sell some stickers, maybe uh, like a couple of um, punch outs, and it, it could work. Rules. Extra rules, it could work. But um, uh, so I'll, I think what I'll say is that I I think I felt a little frustrated by the end that the um the the churches were haunting me by the end and the damn churches i always hated the churches and especially the cross church because that one was just always a nightmare and i felt like my race for the gold nuggets felt maybe a little more pointless than i i thought i was being a smart guy by always trying to ex- like get as many gold nuggets as possible but in the end it really i don't know if it paid off as much um and i was a little frustrated with a couple of things but in the end i i still had a great time and i think it's it's far more engaging than your average game so joel what do you think i hear you i mean it it kind of like but that's i mean i was kind of sad that it ended just because i was having so much fun I was yeah, like, you know, I didn't, it. I didn't want it to be over. Yeah, uh, I wanted more content. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know. Have you ever thought about just playing it as a game? Well, like, the, as a one-off. I, I want to see what how it plays as the one-off. <laughs> so, curious, like, sure. we haven't yeah. taken it out since, but yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I love the game, beginning to end. A lot of cool things like stickers coming out and everything like parts of the board you didn't think were actually parts of the game and all of a sudden you know what you thought was a border is actually a, a thing and yeah i agree like definitely like i definitely pushed for the gold a lot and then i realized at a certain point that only so much gold was going to help you and after that it was useless right and then you 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 know you could push down one of these mine shafts as far as you can go and you know, anything, the thing is, is kind of like a point salad, right? It's like a really long legacy point mm-hmm. salad. And the further you go into the red colored mine shaft, the better it gets, but it's going to be at the cost of something else. So really, you just got to pick your thing, do that thing. And then, you know, even winning games, like I want a lot of individual games, 
ended up crippling me pretty badly. You know, all of a sudden, you know, that's what I was going to say. Exactly, ten points. Especially early on, you win a bunch of games and you're not getting any trees and you're not getting some of these other stuff. And I'm thinking, oh my god, it's like, yeah, it's like, oh, I'm being punished later on. And that felt to me like a little bit of like a, I don't know if that was thought out as much, but a little bit of a blue shell stuff because because I creamed like I was, I think I went like undefeated for three chapters, yeah, and then all of a sudden turned into one game. There's only so games. many, yeah. There's only so many games you can win because all of a sudden you're like, you got like a ten point deficit coming out of the gate. <laughs> you're just like, okay, guess I'm not winning this one. Like right off the bat, you're like, well, I don't have a chance. Right? Yeah, it was it was something else, and uh, there were times when I like I was getting extraordinarily frustrated. I was like looking at the scores, like, how did you get like? 12 more points than I did in this game where like points were tight as hell. Like the only way to get points was in this such way and it's like it made zero sense to me. So I was I was frustrated a little uh, at times, but yeah. generally speaking, I absolutely loved it and I I think it was a real neat game and I I I wish there was more. I I wish there was still another like like how many how many chapters are there? 12? I wish there was another 12. Yeah. Yeah, I could. That's the thing, right? I mean, it was just so. It wasn't even like other legacy games where it's like you get that kind of like payoff from opening envelopes. Yeah. There was a hint of that, but also just playing in a different way, where all of a sudden the colors don't matter, or yeah, you know, all of a sudden all you all you need are trees or something. It's like yeah, just oh, all of a sudden there's like a an ongoing race to the bottom of these mines or to get trains or this and that. And like, it's all on top of or next to the game and you're doing it all at once or you can just ignore it or whatever. And it's just uh, (laughs) such a good game. Yeah, it was, it's an easy recommend and I'm, I'm this close to almost like trying to uh, split it up and like reorganize the envelopes and like give it to somebody else, like another two people to play. Yeah, you can try. And the, the thing is that I realized is that if you play two player, you've still got enough stickers for someone else to play two player. Yeah, that's, that's what I mean. That's exactly what I mean. So anyway, we'll see if it happens. I, I'm not sure how Kayla was the one who's handling most of the uh, opening of envelopes and stuff that I have a feeling they're just floating around in there. But uh, all right, let's take a musical break and we'll be back to chat about some more things. Stay tuned.
Welcome back to Android's Dungeon on CFRU 93.3 FM. What you just listened to were two tracks off of the Only God Forgives original motion picture soundtrack. Uh, first track, Take It Off. Second track, Leave My Son in Peace, both by Cliff Martinez. Legendary Cliff Martinez, who has partnered with Nicholas Winning Refn on, I would say all if not most of his uh, contemporary soundtracks i don't think his pusher stuff could afford him but uh, ever since drive and you know i might be wrong maybe he didn't do anything on drive but uh post drive and onward that's where he is uh joel we recently finished something that maybe took about nine months <laughs> am i wrong about that project and a half for sure yeah yeah when did we start like september-ish September, so September, October, November, December, January, February, March, April, May, June, July. So that's ten months. You could, uh, yeah, you could just track the remaining months till September again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so nine, I think you nailed it. Nine, ten months of Ghosts of Saltmarsh from Dungeons and Dragons with a little bit of tweaking by you, I'd say. Yep. Uh, so what I want to do is I now that we're done. Let's go through and uh, do a little um, post-mortem of sorts. We talk uh, about the whole story. We could give a spoiler alert. Yeah. All right. Spoiler alert. How much time we have? But <laughs> uh, we've got uh, we've got like I don't know, twenty-five minutes or so. Oh yeah. So we we've got a little bit of time. Maybe not the whole thing. But uh, let's start with. Uh, your initial thoughts when you picked up Ghost of Salt Marsh, and we'll get into the uh, game proper. Well, this is the first uh, proper campaign that I've picked up. I've always done homebrew in the past, and I think basically what I was looking for was A, trying to play D&D as it was designed, I guess 5e, to give it a try, you know, because I love... Oh, D20s do this crazy thing. The natural one, or like a natural 20 does something amazing. Natural one does bad. And like really just like hamming it up with like how, I don't know, crazy things are. And then also like just creating stories and legends and everything like that. But then, you know, like 90% of the content you make doesn't get used. And <laughs> that does get used. Sometimes they go off on tangents where you're like, Oh, I didn't prepare for this. So Whoops. I thought I'd give a chance of like, let's just play D and D from a module, see how it goes. And I think what I discovered is using a module is awesome <laughs> <laughs> because a you've got that you've got a skeleton, right? You've got like a really nice body of work to build on and then from then on you can just you know you can do whatever you want you can do or not do any of it but at least you have something you know <laughs> at least you're not just making stuff up on the fly so you know um when i picked up ghost Salmars, i think i purchased it um from the trove and, <laughs> <laughs> and uh and thought, yeah, this is pretty cool. You know, there's like uh, water adventures. Let's go for it. And I think I had also heard a review saying basically, and I think I've said this before, that 
Tales of the Yawning Portal is D&D's greatest hits. And Ghost of Saltmarsh is like, um, you know, a, a side project album, like maybe the Beatles, like, well, they were off in Norway or something, <laughs> recorded some songs. And Just, then, you know, I don't want to jump on you too much here, Joel, but let's let's break down like so uh two four six seven chapters i think approximately yeah uh, the first one 1981 the second one 1982 third one 2005 fourth one 92 yeah fifth one 83 sixth one 2004 and seventh one 2005 so yeah. we, have, we have a bunch of disconnected campaigns over so the what, years so what do they have in common nautical themes right it's a themed compendium of any any kind of adventure they could come up with that had to do with water from the 80s to the early 2000s and the old stuff as you know can be really weird and really mean and for some reason every single room has a box and the box always has like a little bit of silver and like a coat. <laughs> Never anything all that interesting, but yeah, it's awful. Hey, it's good for the thieves, I guess. They get to But yeah, I guess that's what they wanted back then, right? Anyway, uh yeah, so let's go through that cuz that's kind of cool. So it's a theme compendium of nautical themes. Uh, the first 5 fit together fairly loosely into uh, a campaign more or less that they came up with which is you hear about a haunted house you go to the haunted house you find about smugglers the smugglers have a boat you go to the boat now you have a boat but you also find out that they're selling weapons to the lizard folk and the lizard folk are preparing for war the lizard folk are preparing for war and you need to figure out why so you go there you find out that they're not going to attack salt marsh they're going to attack some sea monsters called the sawagin and not only that but there's this massive alliance of other sea creatures doing the same so you build up uh armed forces you shore up your defenses by going to a spooky abbey and killing some cultists uh, so that they can build a lighthouse that they never use. Um, and then you go uh, investigate these sea monsters, find out as much as you can, because it doesn't really matter. Yeah. And then a massive war occurs in which you defeat them. And that's basically the plot of Ghost of Saltmarsh. But then there's these two other episodes, which are awesome. And have nothing to do with the rest of it, which uh, were probably my favorite part. I don't know. Where you uh, you have two things that you can do in any order, but reasonably you probably want to do the the one I'll describe first first because it's for level nine players, and the other one's for level eleven players. But let's face it, CR is a joke, and you can make any uh, encounter as difficult or as easy as you like with a little bit of tweaking. So the first one, uh, you find out that a pirate that was involved in a big battle 
off the coast of a of an island in the region. Uh, that his ship disappeared. You go find some religious folks that are believers in Procan, and those guys, uh, turns out about 30 years back, prayed to Procan when they saw a scary pirate ship showing up. And Procan sunk that ship to the bottom of the ocean. But Orcus, Jack's good friend, or Roger's good friend, yeah. uh, restored the uh, captain of the ship and the rest of them into his skeletal minions who then went and captured all the people in the thing anyway and they all get sacrificed and turned into horrible monsters and you have to go you go on the island and you have a like a little bit of a siege mission where you can either defend the island or escape you guys almost escape before anything even happened <laughs> Uh, and then the, finally, the last mission is kind of a cool little murder mystery, basically Shadow of Innsmouth with a little bit of uh, extra stuff at the end where you get to fight an abolith who is raising up a juvenile kraken, and then you usually go and put that kraken down. And that's the end. I think right, fighting so a kraken was kind of a cool way to end. It was, and I, I think we... It had some problems, I think, that you would agree with. But let's let's start at the beginning here. So we have the sinister secret of Saltmarsh, which is basically the haunted castle, or the haunted mansion of yep. uh, this stuff. Um, and as so, we have we have two different perspectives here. We have the DM, and we have the 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 player character. And as a player character. Um, who was not victimized it's like okay this <laughs> i was okay but <laughs> i'm pretty sure you uh you or the scenario uh killed victoria <laughs> like in the the first was the first encounter was second floor at least you made it inside the building which is more yeah. than i could say for two of the characters in my second run yeah uh, the, this this building just felt the building itself, whatever. But the monsters, like so, at level one, it's things are very sort of uh, like it's pure glass cannon. Insofar as that, like you may do something, but monsters are gonna do something, and they may one hit you. And uh, I'm pretty sure they one hit Victoria. So. <laughs> It just felt a little, maybe a little extreme as far as, um... Yeah, like... so if we're diving into some of the problems with Saltmarsh, one of them is that it is insanely hard. And I mean really, really hard, in which, like, I had to pull... I had to modify every single encounter, or probably would have been fatal. Oh my god. Yeah. Now, is it because we had four? Not necessarily. I mean, maybe six people might have had a chance, but like one of the things that is like pretty well uh, agreed upon is you have to overlevel your players. I would say up until level six. After that, kind of like players in themselves in D and D kind of just like get powerful on their own. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, it's just that these monsters that are in this campaign are all have really, really powerful and deadly abilities. Let's take a look at the Bodak. 
if you look at the Bodak and you fail your save by five or less, or five or more, you die. <laughs> you just, just die. die. <laughs> and and not on top on top of that, I mean, if you look at it and you by less than five, you still take like thirty damage. And then that's not even its abilities. That's what happens to you on your turn when you just look at it. Then it does like life draining stuff and sucking. And I see right in the middle of that, there's two giant uh, minotaur skeletons that are charging at you, knocking you prone, giving you all disadvantage. Then there's like uh, specters coming out of the walls. This is just one fight. This is just the first fight. Joel, in we, are, we are ahead <laughs> of ourselves here, man. Like, come on. I know, but like, do you want to go back to the thing? I mean, we talked about the centipedes. They do, I think, like 18 poison damage, and nobody has more than 12 health starting out. The it's 12 absurd. is the maximum health you could have. It, unless it doesn't... you just dumped everything into Constitution. Do they actually do 18 poison damage? Yeah. I mean, they can. They do like three d six, I think. So you can't save. Like on average, you're you're eating about nine damage. Like, it, like that's absurd. It, it's like, crazy. Just like they weren't terrible. I mean, maybe they didn't roll great or whatever. But four people rolled up on the haunted match and and found four giant rats. By the mercy, without my mercy, without without that was a TPK first fight dead i'm i i manufactured it so that the barbarian survived with like three health and everybody else was unconscious two people were dead incredible just four giant rats not like giant centipede does a d4 plus two piercing damage plus three d6 poison damage Why, and they why, call why? this a CR one quarter creature. That's Between a joke. Four of them is a fair balance. That's a joke. Absolute joke. And then there's the swarms. How many swarms did you fight? They can share spaces with you. They do like half damage. Tons and tons of damage. They take half damage from everything that's non magical. I, I just don't know what they were trying to do. And it, like to me. It, it, like I survived. Mark survived. Uh, Dave survived. Uh, Victoria did not. But it still felt like could have been any of us. Any one of us could have been victimized by this this nonsense. And you gotta wonder, like, what's the purpose? Is this really designed around like just trying to kill one person? It's designed around you having a party of five or six people. We're sitting Even there. Then, like, it doesn't matter how many people you have if one thing can just come up and one hit you. I mean, it's going to get that hit no matter who but that, you are. That's a, yeah, exactly. So it's like, okay, congratulations. You've got a party of six people who can like roll this encounter. It's one hit to that poor character. Unless it's meant to be where it's like this, like, let's like 1981. So unless it was purely like this heavy RP style, like, um, I stand from behind and I I tap it with my ten foot pole, while the my uh, Gregory the dwarf readies his shield to protect me. And it's like okay, that's what's designed around. Not like modern sensibilities of yeah. I look in the drain. Oh, there's a scorpion. 
it, it stabs you. <laughs> You're in trouble. I, I got so another example. Like, like the, the, yeah, the haunted house is just fatal all over the place. And you got to tweak it. And I mean, there were six sturgeons in the attic. And obviously, you're going to explore the attic, right? Somebody yeah. go up. Nobody wants to say no to exploring the attic. Come on. Somebody ended up going up there on their own. Had to pull punches here. You Six sturges, they're each going to do five damage per turn. They're detached. They're attached to you. It does so after it will dit. It will detach after it takes ten hit points worth of damage. Okay. <laughs> you can use your entire turn to detach one of them. One then it's great. Just gonna attack you again. Uh, it's a plus five to hit at a CR one eight. <laughs> plus five. <laughs> It does a d4 plus 3 piercing damage, but then it also does poison poison damage at the, each, at the beginning of each creature's turn. That's great. Six of those. So, for, so in like the second campaign, one guy went up there. He had all six. They're all flying <laughs> creatures. They're just... They fly 40 feet. They're faster than people. You can't run away from them. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 just pure like i would say gygax i'd say it's like it's pure just like yeah. i tricked you die gotcha. stuff oh yeah. you thought you wanted to go in the attic also there's a bag up there i think there's like two silver in it or something. It, it stinks <laughs> it was garbage like everything up here is rotten and useless but you almost died <laughs> or you probably die anyway uh ghost of salt marsh is way too hard We'll say that, just as a, a raw fact. I don't think anybody's going to argue with that fact. I mean, even with six players, you're still going to have people die every turn. And speaking of which, I'll give you a quick update on the Tuesday campaign. Uh, Seth died last night. What happened? Well, you remember that part where you guys came into the Sawagin lair on the second floor and you were swimming around and you saw an entire army yes. and you thought, let's <laughs> fight it. <laughs> and then Mark died. <laughs> yeah. Same thing. Except that in this situation, uh, he failed a self-check. Everybody saw him. Everybody else in the party ran away and used Dash to get to the you know, first floor and run away. He decided to take a knee and uh, surrender. Okay. So in that situation, all right, I'll capture you, right? Put some manacles on him. Uh, bring him over to the priestesses. The priestess kind of have a discussion. Then I bring him in a very small patrol to escort him back to the prisoner area, right? Or to the slave area. A small attackable patrol. But everybody else <laughs> ran away, and then the rogue thought, "Okay, well, I'll I'll try to help him out." So he left a whole bunch of marbles in the hallway. I don't know if you ever came across this, but like a certain type of rogue can drop marbles as an action or as a free action or something. Sure, sure. Some slippery, slavery marbles. So he made the hallway really slippery, and then uh, you know. What ended up happening, the little patrol walked over it, and three of them slipped and fell. And Whoops. so Seth 
thought, okay, here's my chance, and he started attacking them. So instead of like being imprisoned and maybe trying to escape or something like that, all of a sudden he was fighting a group of like a priestess, a champion, a coral smasher, a regular Savagine. Yeah. But the worst part was that the rogue went into a room nearby where like the boss blade master guy was. Oh jeez. And failed the stealth check terribly, made a whole bunch of noise, woke him up, he called started calling the army, everything starts rushing in. <laughs> Uh, the rogue, like I said, like really hard to kill a rogue. The rogue was like behind like seven creatures, and he had to take opportunity attacks from all of them. But you know, he's uncanny dodge and stuff. Yeah, yeah. He can disengage and run. So if he ends up his turn, he's surrounded by four things. Disengage, go. He's gone. Like that's why I was saying, like it's hard to kill a rogue, but. Seth, not so lucky, right? He's a barbarian. He can take half damage because he's raging, but he can only stand for so long. So what I did was, after he got knocked out and his whole party abandoned him, uh, I had them pick him up and carry him over so that at least they could see the shark god in action. So that was his death, was they threw him into the room and the giant shark god killed, ate him. Oh my god, brutal. Absolutely brutal. <laughs> Yeah, and they're like, "Shit, we gotta kill that shark god to get the hammer of pain back." <laughs> and I was like, "Nice." That was so tickling. Oh yeah. my god. Well, they're so used to people dying now, you know. Yeah. All right, that, that's where we're gonna have to end it there. We're out of time, so uh, I know we'll we'll talk about more stuff because we got a lot to talk about. But uh, we'll go through salt salt marsh again, uh, ours and theirs and uh compare notes but until then i'm jack i want to hear like what you what, what the story was from your perspective you know because i i know that's what we'll talk about next time so we'll we'll hear it from my perspective for sure <laughs> didn't seem like anyone else want to talk about whatever uh thank you for listening android dungeon cfr united through pfm Listen to us CFRU.ca or on your favorite podcasting websites. But until then, hope everything is going well. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.